Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. And we're going to be continuing our study today as we turn our attention to the discourse on prayer that is found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is, who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, because a friend of mine has come because a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, I cannot get up and give give you anything. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything, just because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. Now which of you fathers will his son ask for a fish? Instead of a fish, he will give him a snake. Or will he even ask for an egg and his father will give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Well, Jesus taught His disciples to pray by example, as in this particular case, and by precept, as we saw several episodes ago in Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. At this time, we're told that Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, if I have placed this event in its proper chronological order, then it follows closely the visit in Bethany with Mary and Martha and would have taken place somewhere in the vicinity of Jerusalem. Seeing Jesus praying prompted at least one of his disciples to make a very important request. Lord, teach us to pray. The disciple also remembered how John had taught his followers to pray. The model prayer that Jesus has used here is very similar to the one found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, but it is not exactly the same. The King James Version renders it practically identical, but the manuscript evidence for it to be translated that way is very weak. Here are the general manuscript differences. Matthew says, Our Father. Luke says simply, Father. Matthew says, Who art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Luke says, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Matthew says, 
Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Luke says, give us this day our daily bread. Matthew says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Luke says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And bring us, according to Matthew, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Luke says, and bring us not into temptation. That was harder than I thought it was going to be (laughs) to do both of them. But the simplicity and the brevity of this prayer makes it a wonderful model for us. I think a lot of times folks think in order for a prayer to be good, it's got to be long. Mm -hmm. And it's got to be filled with uh, all different fancy words and things of that nature. But that's not the case. And I think there's a lesson to be learned from the simplicity and the brevity of this prayer. A wonderful model. Notice that God is addressed in it as Father. He's not addressed as the Lord God of Israel, but as Father of all who call upon him. There's a universality of teaching here. He is also not addressed as Almighty, Creator, Ruler, or any other such appropriate designation for Father is comprehensive enough to include them all. At the same time, Father brings to the forefront love and relationship. Yeah, relationship. That's that's key here because when I think about as a father of children myself, um, you know, if I get a you know a young child that says, "Dad, uh, can you help me?" Um, that means just as much, probably more than a child that says, "Listen, I do. I have done a lot of great things, and I am pretty strong, and I can do this, this, and this." But I guess in this one case, I guess you know, uh, no, just just a. A humble child speaking to his father is all God is asking for here. But I think the request to to teach us to pray shows us that prayer isn't isn't always easy for people. It, it's this is a request made by people who have power to cast out demons, yet they can't pray as they would like to. They they see something in Jesus. And they want that. And maybe maybe our listeners today are in the same boat of wishing that they could have a more encouraging, fulfilling uh, prayer life. And uh, so pay close attention to what he says because uh, it, it offers something for each of us here. Yeah, I think certainly First Thessalonians 5.17 comes to mind with that thought of pray without ceasing. Um, certainly to be in constant communication with, with God. Um, with the comment that Greg said about the um, the, the prayers don't have to be long, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think an uh, example that comes to mind for me was um, in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah is before the king, um, and the king will ask, ask him, what's your request? And Nehemiah's in verse 4 of chapter 2, says, so I pray to the God of heaven. Um, certainly think of that instance, Nehemiah didn't have time to go away and, and say a prayer. Um, I think it certainly was a, a very quick um, prayer there and then right in between his response to the king's question. Um, and so I absolutely agree that um, our prayers don't need to, I think I've heard some talk about you should time your prayers um, and that I think that's just simply checking a box. It's talk to God because um, you get to, not because you have to um, and be able to 
um, let him let him know what's going on in, in your life and um, ask for for his help and hand in, in all things as Ross was pointing out I think this the prayer shows that in prayer God is to be given reverence homage and respect he had the phrase hallowed be thy name I, I want to pause for a moment and say we cannot use God's name irreverently it must be held up with majesty, with purity and praise. I like to say that we only use the name of God when we're praying to him or at or talking about him. It's not a byword, it's not a curse word, it's not anything of that nature, and we need to give him the proper reverence. In our prayers, we need to recognize the relationship that God has with all of his children and magnify and glorify his name. When this prayer was uttered, the idea was that of identifying their interests with the interests of the kingdom. It was God's will that must be done. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a recognition of complete dependence upon God. And remembering this in all of our prayers serves to keep that, or that dependence ever before us. Yeah, I, I like the uh, reference to forgiveness of others because you're asking for God to forgive, but you're also acknowledging your need to forgive. And there's nothing like praying your need, the, the things that you know you need to do to expose, open up your heart and just make it raw before God. And if there is any unwillingness to forgive in a moment like that, you, if you're a child of God, you will just not be able to abide. You will not be able to tolerate a prayer to God where you're saying, uh, Father, forgive me as I forgive others when you know good and well that you don't. Like, there's just something about praying what you know you need to do that convicts the heart. And really, if there is anything that God would say, you, you still have need here um, praying praying about those things really expose maybe something that we've neglected in our lives I think it's interesting that he speaks about temptation as well because the truth of the matter is all of us are going to be tempted so it is right and proper to pray about that pray that the temptations that we encounter would be few and that we will be able to bear with them 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 assures us that we are not going to be tempted by anything that is beyond our ability to bear it. You know, the, the gospel of Luke has been called the gospel of prayer because of the emphasis upon the prayer life of Jesus and the instructions in regard to prayer. This parable is very similar to that of the unjust judge that we'll read about in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Both are recorded by Luke. They offer good illustrations of the proper method of interpretation of parables, i.e., to seek for the fundamental principle taught rather than attempt to make each detail fit. Persistence in prayer and the assurance of an answer to prayer are the fundamental principles. The conduct of the man who at first refused to accommodate his neighbor was curlish, 
This verb is not the one to lend on interest as a matter of business, but to lend as a friendly act. The man did not refuse because he did not want to lend the bread, but because he did not want to be troubled. All this is scenery and no part of the fundamental meaning of the parable. The key to the parable is found in verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your father who are unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Verses 9 and 10 makes clear that the whole point is persistence in prayer with the absolute assurance that from Jesus that God hears. When Jesus uses the verbs ask, seek, and knock, they are in the present tense and denote continuous action. In other words, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Why the need for persistence? Well, persistence in prayer accomplishes a number of things. First, it helps to develop faith if we pray properly. Secondly, it motivates us to action to do our part. Thirdly, it causes us to share or shape the prayer on the anvil of our knees until it is brought into harmony with God's will. And finally, it causes us to closely examine ourselves. Let's go ahead now and look about the, the, the denunciation of the Pharisees, which we find in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 54. Uh, Ross, you care to sure. read those? And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he did not first wash before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to the Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Then one of the lawyer, lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! For you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. 
Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. You know, there are very interesting differences of opinion concerning this Pharisee and the purpose of his invitation. Some that I read feel that he was just a Pharisee who had a friendlier disposition toward Jesus than the others and merely wanted to have him as a guest at a meal. Others, and personally I'm more inclined to this view, hold that it was an attempt to remove Jesus from the crowd and entangle him in a fresh discussion. There's no doubt that they were after Jesus by this time, and we know that there are already plans being formulated to bring about his death. We will see the Lord respond very forcefully, which would seem to indicate again the ill will of the Pharisees. So the invitation was extended, and Jesus accepted it. When he sat down to eat, the Pharisee marveled that Jesus did not wash first. He marveled because of the elaborate system of utterly meaningless washings and cleansings that had been instituted by the various rabbinical schools, all of which had grown out of the simple directions in the law concerning cleanliness. According to the tradition of the elders, the Pharisees washed their hands before eating each meal and if they had been in a public place where they might have been touched by some unclean person, they were known to wash their entire body. Quite simply, Jesus did not keep these man-made practices. Even though a guest in the house of this Pharisee, Jesus spoke unsparingly in condemnation of the tradition-keeping that was preventing the Pharisees from accepting the truth. While Jesus would make many of these same comments in Matthew chapter 23, there are subtle differences that show that these comments were made on different occasions. The Pharisees had so many outward ceremonial acts that they performed, presenting quite an impressive display of religiosity, if that's a word. Jesus charged them with making the outside clean, but neglecting the inside. God made both the outward and inward man, to truly be a godly man, both the inside and the outside had to be clean. It was foolish to think that they could please God by cleansing the material while leaving the spiritual polluted and full of corruption. While there are different ways of looking at verse 41, I believe that Jesus was saying to give of oneself, to give of one's love, mercy, and compassion, and that such inward purity would cleanse the outward. Jesus pronounced several woes upon the Pharisees. The reason why is as follows. In the matters of tithing, they were scrupulous and exacting, even to giving a tenth of mint, a garden plant-like spearmint, rue, a shrub of about two feet used for flavoring wine and medicinal purposes, and all manner of herbs, generally gardener plants, used primarily for flavoring. It was good that they did this. It was not condemned. Jesus said, These ought ye to have done. 
the woe was pronounced because they were careless about and neglected the weightier matters of the law, such things as judgment and love. I find this reminiscent of Matthew chapter 9 verses 11 and 13, or 11 through 13. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, in verse 42, um, it says, These you ought to have done, rather than don't sweat the small stuff, which is sometimes what we're told today. It's like God, God wouldn't care about the small stuff. Or we sit in judgment of some of God's statements in Scripture as God won't care if I this or that. Uh, and we become judges of what is the small stuff. Whereas Jesus uh, commended their, uh, uh, their being concise and wanting to be precise about uh, uh, tithing of the things that God had given them. So he commends that, but not that they should leave undone the weightier matters. How would we be guilty of that today? I think... One obvious example of this is, well, I would never miss a service. I'm always at church. But when you're not at church, you're, you're or maybe on the way home from the assembly, you're, you're kind of gossiping about this or that brother or, or, or being critical of, of how someone served today. And uh, you think, well, you're not being loving, which is the second greatest commandment in the law, but you'd never miss a service. You know, the reason for that service was to consider one another and to stimulate one another for love and good works. And if that's not happening, then what good is the assembly? Just like what good are all these mints and rue and anise and cumin if you're not doing the weightier things like justice, mercy? Verse 52 uh, sticks out to me in application um, for, for, for us that they... They there had, the lawyers had taken away the key of knowledge, um, and they hadn't entered themselves and hindered those who were. I think it's something to think about to make sure we're not doing that same thing. That we may make sure, certainly our own salvation is being worked out and taken care of, but also that we're not being a a stumbling block or someone halting uh, other people from growing, certainly, or just meeting Jesus in the first place. Um, I think it's just something to be be mindful of. Yeah, you know, um, the, the Ezekiel said, the, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Right, The soul that sins shall die. So when I read that on this generation, you hypocrite, you lawyers, all of you who are guilty of having fellowship with your fathers in the persecution and murder of my prophets and soon to be apostles on this generation the all of the blood from Abel to Zechariah will be required of this generation well is there some sort of contradiction there are they suffering for the sins of their fathers no indeed it is not the case. They are suffering for their own sins. But we also learn 
that uh, God compounds the guilt when there is much opportunity given. They had an opportunity to see and to learn from their fathers and their behavior. And when that doesn't happen, even Moses taught back at Sinai, he said that uh, God is a jealous God and he visits iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So you hate God just like this generation really hated God because he persecuted their, their, uh, the ones he sent. He says, I'm going to require that of you because you had an opportunity to learn from the prophets. You saw the history of the Babylonian captivity and what resulted as, uh, as a result of that. And yet, here you are repeating history yet again. That's an excellent point, Ross. Verses 53 and 54 present what is really a sad picture. Jesus had clearly laid bare the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and their attempt to depict Jesus as rejecting Moses had utterly failed. So now they are presented like a fighter who has lost his head and just comes out swinging wildly. They're firing question after question at Jesus, trying to get him to say something, anything that they might be able to use against him. It wasn't a matter of seeking the truth. It was a matter of laying in wait for Jesus, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Well, that's going to have to do it for today's lesson. We appreciate so much each of you who listens, and encourage your friends to listen as well as we go through the life of Christ. Until the next lesson, thanks for listening.